0: You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time and bring your vision for the future to life one day at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started.
1: Eyes on the Sky, Transmedia Story World Project. Today, I'm going to look skyward. I've been a star and planet gazer all my life. We live in a miraculous world with right, f- with right thinking. It may remain that way. Dr. Ed Mitchell was an astronaut on Polo 14, and he said, all matter in our universe is created in the star systems, and so is the matter in your body. The matter in the spacecraft, the matter in your partner's body, was the product of the stars? We are all stardust and we are all one in that sense. For as long as I can remember, I've had a deep desire to explore intergalactic space. Not surprising, I was a child when man walked on the moon from Apollo 11. I was fascinated by science fiction and loved telephone shows. television shows of courageous crew on Jupiter 2, Lost in Space, and the NASA astronauts in uh, Genie, just to name a couple. In 1986, the Challenger explosion brought my mind into much dis-ease, and it still echoes in the back of my mind even 30 years on. The consideration for the risks ranging around human safety and the ramifications for space, environment and contamination are at the forefront of my thinking as a person concerned with conscious stewardship of outer space and the ramifications for the environment. In the 1990s, I was on the fringes of aerospace exploitation slash exploration, living in Bermuda where NASA was based as well for the release of what was launched because of where Bermuda is on the world. And I also considered a career in this area in the 1990s. But let's face it, as a 20th century career woman at that time, I knew the career path could be limited. So let's consider more about eyes in the sky well, today I'm joined by a multi-talented, multi-passionate, a team full of many people with super genius, and I'm sure more than one. This team, unfortunately not joining us, will be Deepak Chetty, the director of Virtual Worlds, Patricio Delgado, who is before and behind the camera, and Rachel Rullo, who's into media and analytics. I liked her core values around curiosity, wonder, growth, and empathy. We really resonate there. Who will be joining me is the head of the team, Erin Riley. She's a professor of practice and an inaugural director of innovation and entrepreneurship. I'll put more about her bio in the show notes, since she's also an author and a co-author. She probably will frame up the problem for us. And then we may be joined by Maura Bajar, who's also done another episode with me. He is into space environmentalism and an activist in this space. He's also an associate professor of aerospace engineering and a director for computational astronautical sciences and technologies. He's a specialist in orbital mechanics. Also, he created the Astriograph, which tracks over 26,000 satellites and objects that orbit the Earth. I will put a link in the show notes. I'm also hoping to be joined by Sven Ortel, who's a creative director, and Associate Professor Lucy Atchison, and Kyle Schoenfield. I also like how he frames his purpose about he wants his audience to feel emotions and activate their imagination. This group is the leading team on the immersive traveling exhibit called The Eyes in the Sky, which is an immersive experience to create awareness around the dangers of space junk and take you on an interactive and emotional journey. So today I know, as a global futurist, and I posit that there is an opportunity to transmute legacies here from last century and transform them, or the implications of poor stewardship will be in full view in terms of the impact of the socio and environmental nature of Earth and among the stars and planets. It will not be hard to see the decisions of yesterday playing out in the game of tomorrow and the measure of the benefit or the lack thereof. We are the future. Let's talk with the team. Thank you for joining us. Erin, thank you. I am really excited to hear about what you do and how you got involved with Eyes on the Sky.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. So I got involved in Eyes on the Sky by knocking on Moriba's door after hearing him speak at the TEDx conference. I think it was in 2018, probably the first year I arrived at the University of Texas at Austin. And it was interesting because it was the same week when India was going to blow up a satellite and the global news was like, why are they blowing up a satellite? Is there a need to blow up the satellite? And he just, you know, Moriba just kind of hit it on the head of like, no, we already have have enough space junk in this world, you know, we don't need to create more. And you know, in a really realistic metaphorical way, he was able to grasp at my heartstrings and I think the whole audience's heartstrings of what is in our pocket, it could be a piece of space debris that is circling around our near earth and has the potential of harming our space station, has the potential of creating this ripple effect problem with taking down other satellites, not just for the fun of it, like India wanted to do, but just by accident, like by this chance of different countries not talking with each other. So I'm a storyteller. I am the Director of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Moody College of Communication, and I founded Texas Immersive. And as a storyteller, I work with my students and other faculty and professionals in the industry to find new ways to engage audiences and encourage them through experimental storytelling and the use of emerging technology to have more agency in their story, to step them in the middle of a story world so that they can see themselves and embody an experience to make change. So I, as the executive creative producer, reached out to a couple of my peers in the community here at UT and said, hey, we need a whole group of different diverse perspectives and creators at the table to really address this wicked problem. And that's what we're doing with Eyes on the Sky.
1: And the power of these transdisciplinary collaborations is amazing, absolutely amazing. So Moriba, would you like to add some statistics in there, frame the problem for us? Why should we care? Self-confessed, I already care.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for having us and following with what Aaron said. Look, there's probably about, I don't know, half a million objects in Earth orbit that are derived from humans. So we call them anthropogenic space objects. And these things range in size from speck of paint, millimeter diameter, all the way up to the space station. But, you know, the thing is that we can't track things as small as the speck of paint. We can only track things as small as what Aaron said, the smartphone, the cell phone sort of thing. Everything that's smaller than that cell phone is pretty much like a random bullet where the strategy is a strategy of hope. We hope that these things don't collide with something we care about on the space station. One of my good friends, a retired astronaut, Susan Helms, she said that she remembers being on the front end of the space station, the one that's most towards the, the front as the thing is moving. And she would hear things dinging on the side of the hull. And that was kind of surreal for her back then. It's only gotten worse since then. And of the stuff that we can track, which, so I said half a million, so we can only track about 1% of that. So it's about 26,000 objects. And out of the 26,000 objects, about 3,500 of those, are things that are actually working and producing some sort of service or fulfilling some sort of purpose, whether it's financial transactions, position navigation and timing, these sorts of things, and everything else is rubbish. So it's like out of everything that's hazardous, we only track 1%. And out of that 1%, only about 6% work. So 6% of 1% of the problem actually does something useful.
1: Holy heck. And this really crashed in on me when my younger son was born early January. The shuttle challenger blew up at the end of January of the year that he was born, 73 seconds after takeoff, taking all of the lives of the crew, which included a school teacher, Kristen McOlaf, I think that's how you pronounce it. Now that was nineteen eighties. So I was already primed to be concerned when I had the opportunity to be watching this massive initiative on getting communications up there and satellites and what we now know we can support this amazing God-like technology. So for me, for decades, my concerns were circling around the backward-forward contamination hazard from human access to the stars, the irreversibility of irresponsible human behavior. So I've had this long-standing hope that we evolve towards being conscious human beings using our capability in service to the universe. So thank you for all your space environmentalism and activism. I'm very, very grateful. So that would be great. Who on the team would like to speak to the solution? You guys are using this amazing transmedia story world project. Why? How is this going to help?
4: I can talk about that. Hi, my name is Sven Othell. I lead the MFA Emphasis in Integrated Media at the University of Texas at Austin, which is a long way of saying that I instruct and mentor students to use digital technology to explore new ways of storytelling and to become better visual storytellers in particular. So I got involved with Eyes on the Sky after talking to Erin last summer. And last summer, we were all kind of scrambling to figure out how to do anything, really. And I was researching VR technology. I'm a theater designer by trade. So I was figuring out how can this technology actually be relevant and help us. And I wasn't finding much. (laughs) It was all cool and shiny, but it didn't engage me on an emotional level. And then I'm also a very passionate gardener and I love landscaping and I care about the stewardship of the planet and Erin was telling me about this project she's working on with Moribar and that she's investigating hybridity and how new ways of storytelling that combine physical and digital can create an emotional connection with the audience and I said yes exactly I think this is where we need to go and it's about creating an emotional connection and investigating these technologies that create that in a similar way that when you walk through a garden there's something you actually feel as a opposed to you just seeing information. So I'm interested in that, finding ways to recreate that in a way, not exactly because you can't, but, you know, in an approximation so we can reach a lot of people who otherwise don't have access to this information or find it difficult to understand the challenges. And that's a design challenge. And I'm a designer and I teach designers, so it seemed perfect. We call that XR or mixed reality these days, and it's a mixture of digital and physical. We are sort of at the forefront. We are pioneers. There aren't blueprints and it's exciting to me, but more importantly, it's exciting for the students
1: brilliantly said Sven thank you I, I was a latchkey kid so I grew up in New Zealand and TV was like 20 years behind the rest of the world so I was watching Lost in Space <laughs> and I Dream of Genie and those types of things and literally the space program was driving public support through these types of shows and we moved on with the Cold War and Star Trek and Star Wars and things like that so I really appreciate the use of your creativity as opposed to militarization and fear to create the opportunity for engagement there. And I think, Lucy, you'll be able to give us a great introduction on how message
5: components can influence attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs. Yes, I think that's a perfect segue. So I'm Lucy Atkinson. I'm an associate professor in the advertising department, and my corner of this project is research. And so as a researcher, I focus on environmental communication. How do we understand, change individuals' beliefs, attitudes, behaviors about the environment? And most of my focus has been on things like climate change. So what are we doing on earth with respect to the environment? Erin asked me to join this project, and I was so excited because it changed my focus from looking down to looking up. And I love the challenge of trying to communicate with audiences about issues that are intractable, that are wicked issues, just like this problem. And there's a lot of assumptions or beliefs that we just have to educate people. We just have to give them the information and then they will change their behaviors. They'll do the quote, right thing. We know as communicators, that is not how it works. That's why people continue to smoke. That's why people continue to text and drive. We know we shouldn't, but we do it. And so it's really about what kinds of messages, how do we appeal to them? And Michelle, you've mentioned fear. We know that fear appeals, we use them a lot in communication, but they really aren't that effective. They work sometimes, but it really isn't a motivating way to communicate with people. And so what I love about this project is that it tries to engage with audiences in a really new way with this immersive experience that hopefully people can connect with an issue that they might not think about or feels very distant and not salient to them. Hopefully this immersive idea will change that perspective. And as a researcher, I like to understand, okay, how do people think before? How do they think now? And so my focus is on kind of the people as they go through through this process, to understand what the outcomes are we accomplishing, what we hope to, and uh, obviously I'm biased, but I think we will. I think we will have a really important effect And, and let other academics, but also the mainstream media know about what we're finding out here.
1: Oh, I really value what you do, Lucy. Big confession here. I grew up thinking there were nine planets. And in my reading, because I'm quite curious and engaged with space, still want to be an intergalactic explorer when I grow up. I've just been reading about how there's a whole other world off of Jupiter full of diamond planets, exoplanets, rogue planets, planets without a star. There is this whole amazing vista. And we've got this trash heap around our world in the low Earth orbit. And we've created that without thinking. We're exploring Mars and going beyond with different kinds of technology. So I really appreciate what you're saying because I grew up and had to come to terms with there are more than nine planets. You know, there's what I see in the skies is only a tiny dot of what's really out there. I really appreciate that you work on attitudes and beliefs in that area. And Kyle, I'm very excited about what you do as well. And I think some of you others also have a business major, minor, and I appreciate how do we create this media outreach, this research? Research and encourage people to engage and be inspired to do more. So Kyle, I'd love to hear how you contribute.
6: Yeah, so I am a student out of the University of Texas at Austin, coming out of Anne Riley's immersive program. I'll be graduating next month, actually. So excited about that. But yeah, I've been on this project for around a year now and thinking about how are we going to get people to interact with this important wicked problem? And one of the challenges is that people can't see what is happening up above. And so how do we humanize that concept and get people to understand what is happening? And that's where this immersive concept comes into play. Other than that, I, as a person, I believe that people deserve to know about this wicked problem, not just as flight from a student perspective. I've seen that if you ask your friends and your team a lot of times, not like this team, but like out of the university, a lot of them don't know what's going on up above. And even like space agencies now that know very well what is going on. They don't communicate it effectively. They don't highlight it. That's not their main objective or their priority. And so this team is making it a priority to let everyone know that, hey, you deserve to be a part of this conversation. Um, And we're going to let you know what's going on, not only here on planet Earth, but beyond because we need to care about both. So that's what I've been doing. I've been working more on the marketing engine of this and how do we get this concept out to the media, to people and give them a way into this conversation.
1: I'm a big fan of intergenerational collaboration. So I've already confessed, I thought there were only nine planets or so and was suitably impressed that there were this, we've spotted these other things off of Jupiter. But you're exactly right. No one of us, no one country, no one area, one international organization is going to make a change. I mean, we've had UN treaties. They're no longer functional when you've got commercial enterprises doing their own thing. They were driven because of militarization and wanting to conquer and own different planets like the flag on the moon. I firmly believe as you end one of your documents, we are the future. So I'm going to do a shout out and call to action with my audience. Are you wondering how you can help? There's a new crowd fundraising opportunity here. It will be in the show notes, but I would love for the Eyes in the Sky team to chime in about how we can help fund this project.
2: Well, I really love that Kyle is here with us because he's a representative of the students involved in this project. I believe that Muraba, Sven, and Lucy and I, we are faculty first, we're professors first, and we really all believe in experiential learning and giving this opportunity for intergenerational learning from each other. So one of the things that this initial funds will do will allow us to keep on offering this experiential learning, being able to hire some of the students that are finishing up with our classes to continue working on the prototype throughout the rest of 2021, which will then be used to actually get larger sponsors and foundations invested in the Sky Dome, which I'll leave to Sven to talk about. The thing is, though, is that you, you really hit it on the nail, Michelle. This is a very complicated, wicked problem, and it encapsulates a triad of themes that we're trying to address through a transmedia. So, you know, we have hopes of, like Kyle and Lucy said, reaching our audience through experiential marketing, through different types of social media that we're on right now, but also through short form video. But that's all just kind of starting to get them interested in informational. The immersive experience allows them to embody the environmental, geopolitical, and commercial attitudes that are part of this race towards imagining what our future way of life is could be.
1: Thank you. So how is the funding going? How long is it over? How will the funds be used? This is a great place to get some of that information. And so they go and look.
2: We are hoping to raise $75,000 by May 18th, and we are 36% towards our goal. So we would really appreciate any dollar penny counts right now to help us reach this goal. With the $75,000, we will lead a team to build out the prototype of the Sky Dome.
4: It's a immersive dome that contains imagery, tracking devices, audio, and some physical items. And it acts a little bit like a portal to all those areas where we like the audience to connect to the issues. So it'll take them to the space station. It'll take them to Mars. It'll take them to the Pacific garbage patch. The idea is through this Sky Dome to create an emotional connection that goes beyond just looking at pictures. But you can really only prove those ideas and concepts by building it and letting people experience it, which is why having the initial funding is so important because there's only words and renderings and pictures only take you so far and it's going to be the students that are going to be building this and they're going to be benefiting from building it because they will also experience themselves as makers of something that will hopefully change the course of future and awareness of this problem.
2: And I believe that 75,000 is a drop in the bucket of what our overall goal is, which is $3 million to be able to spin this out as a company and really begin to create it as a traveling immersive exhibit with complimentary documentary series to really get the word out and to actually introduce the world. I shouldn't say you're already introduced, but jaw is the face of the future of space, in my opinion. He is a space environmentalist. He's an incredible host, you will get to, you know, we're going to hologram him into the Sky Dome, So he will be your guide in actually really understanding th- this complicated problem and being able to really put a face to what our future of space should look like.
1: Thank you, Erin. More of Lucy, Kyle, any other thoughts that
3: you will add on this? Yeah, yeah, so I guess one thing that I'd like to lay out there and really appreciate what everybody has said so far, and definitely happy that Kyle is here representing the students. Look, this for me started with me spending some time on Maui with my family. And when I went from doing Mars missions to working for the Air Force Research Lab, using the telescopes on top of Mount Haleakala, and two things happened for me. One is, you know, using the telescopes, looking up, that's when I found out that there was so much much trash around the earth i had no idea that there were all these objects and so that was a bit of a wow i had no clue And then I think living on Maui, being out in the middle of the Pacific, very small place, you've got the native Hawaiians, you've got everybody else seeing disparities between the natives and and the other folks on Maui and looking around the island and saying, you know, out of all the places in the world, you'd think that this place would be very environmentally conscious and friendly. And it was completely the opposite. It was uh, maximum use of single use plastics with the hotel industry and all this other stuff. The landfills, it made me cry to just see how such a, a lush, uh, beautiful landscape was just suffering to the detriment because of what humans were doing without really thinking conscientiously. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. So that was like a seed, which then got amplified during a trip to Alaska in 2015, where I took my son Denali to see where his name came from, sort of thing. And it's like I saw a similar picture with the natives and everybody else, and being an Anchorage and going down one of the main streets in Anchorage and seeing shops lined on both sides with furs for sale and that sort of stuff. It was like, wow, it was just tearing me apart. And this is when I had kind of this inner shift. I felt really broken inside and I just felt enveloped by a a presence, felt very old to me. In my mind's eye, I saw the history of humanity along the way in this planet and people going away from this intergenerational contract of stewardship and custodianship to adopt one of ownership of stuff and exercising rights and the colonialism and all this other stuff. But seeing that there was some knowledge still within pockets of indigenous people about this stewardship, custodianship, about knowing how to live in balance with the surroundings and that sort of stuff, I was asked, what I do Everything within my capability to not let humanity forget about this intergenerational contract and remind folks about the interconnectedness of things and that action is best when born from a place of compassion. And that's what this project is about. That pretty much sums it up. Yes, we're talking about space, but it's really what space tells us about us.
1: Absolutely. Very well said, Moraba. I grew up in New Zealand, and New Zealand has some initiatives around night sky sanctuaries. So one of the things I got to experience was beautiful night skies in in the Southern Oceans. Then as a late teen, I came to Bermuda because I wanted to surf and discovered NASA and rockets and satellites. And again, Bermuda is a sister island to Maui. So I, like yourself, I was like, wow, there is so much valuable knowledge that's left out of the conversation. It's just
5: amazing. So I totally get you. So any last words, Kyle, Lucy? I can add a few words. I think there's an urgency to this project, and that's where this crowdfunding comes in. It it will be this launchpad to be able to allow us to really move forward with it. And I don't want to be the sky is falling, a chicken little kind of person, but literally it is. We need to start doing something. And the communication environment today is such that there are so many messages out there We have to get through a lot of messaging clutter. There's not just the near-earth clutter, but there's so much messaging clutter that we need to get through to motivate people to find that compassion, as Maribo was saying. And that's where the urgency comes in. This is a project that is so worthwhile and it really is so timely and needed. I totally agree with you. Muting the message,
1: dominating the message. I love message clutter. Kyle, can I put the floor over to you as we close out?
6: Yeah, so coming from all the students that have worked on this project, there has been a ton over the past year, and I know every single one of us would be thankful for everyone that is able to, to either generate the word, go tell your friends, your family about this project, and make a donation, because we're ready to take that next step. We've been collaborating over the past years. So I'm excited and can't wait to see who we can reach.
1: I appreciate all of you. I will be putting all my social media behind this as well between now and the 18th of May. And I'm not sure I can get the podcast out in time for that, but hopefully you get the first round and the podcast is supportive of the next round. So thank you all for being here and thank you for all that you do and the wisdom in the rooms and in the wisdom world's traditions. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
3: Thank you so much. Contribute, contribute, please, everyone. Thank you. Wonderful, thank you.
0: Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul-hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe, leave a review and a rating, but more importantly, share with your connections.